So business meetings aren't always that much fun, but youth ministry is a lot of fun. If you haven't had a chance to hang out with the youth, they're a lot of fun. Kids ministry is a lot of fun. And so I found that if I want to teach kids and youth about God, I need to make sure that they're awake and engaged first. And one of the ways to wake people up and make sure everybody's engaged is with a little bit of competition. Some of you are very competitive people, and so we're going to play a game, and this is a group participation game. You're going to look to the left and to the right. You're going to need those people who are next to you to play this game. It's a very simple game. With kids, it's got to be simple. Same thing with adults. It's got to be simple. So the way this game is going to work is we're going to show you a picture, and you're going to have just a second to decide, based on your knowledge, whether or not the thing that we're showing you is a fruit or a vegetable. You got a 50-50 chance just guessing, but you're going you're gonna to need some accountability. I don't want you afterwards saying, I knew it, when maybe you didn't. So you need to look to the left and to the right and share with your neighbor what you think. If you're sitting next to a stranger today, great, you're going to make a friend by the time this is all done, and they're going to know what your level of knowledge is based on your answers. All right, so we all understand how this works. So first picture, let's see, is this a fruit or a vegetable? Tomato. Really quick, look to your neighbor. If you said fruit, you're correct. It is, in fact, a fruit. Tomato is a fruit. So congratulations. You know what a fruit is when it comes to tomatoes. All right, second picture. Is this a fruit or a vegetable? Cucumber. Cucumber. Is it a fruit or a vegetable? It's a fruit. It's a fruit. Technically, cucumber is fruit. I got some of you on that one. All right, third one. Third one. Bell peppers. Bell peppers. Some of you are asking, are you talking green or red? I don't know. Maybe one's one and one's the other. Is it a fruit or a vegetable? It's a fruit. It's a fruit. If you've been following me, green peppers are also fruit. The, the technical definition of a fruit is, is the fleshy part of a plant that bears seeds. If it has seeds, it's a fruit. If it has seeds, it's a fruit. And I remember when I taught my son this. I taught my son Ben. He was in Cub Scouts, and we were learning about health and how to eat healthy things. And we taught them if it has seeds, it's a fruit. And we showed them you know, watermelon. We showed them squash and pumpkins. And, and they learned if it has seeds, it's a fruit. About five in, they caught on to what we were doing. And I remember his excitement when we went to Burger King. And he looked down at his sesame seed bun. <laughs> And he said, Dad, cheeseburgers are fruit. These are healthy. <laughs> and I had to let him down and say, no, son, no, those, those seeds are added after the fact. And cheeseburgers are not healthy, if only, if only they were. But no, you know, the technical definition of, of a fruit is the thing that has seeds. Uh, but we understand like the third or fourth definition down of fruit is, is just this. It is the result or reward of work or activity. You know, we understand if somebody goes on a business trip and you ask them, was your business trip fruitful? We're not asking them what was served for lunch. We're asking them what was the result of your business trip. We all understand the fruit of our labor. We understand the fruit of the loom. That's the things that are made from cotton that come from the loom where things are made. Maybe you didn't know that, but now you know. That's what that means. It's the, the product of the work or activity. And we've been in this series for the past three weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. Pastor Greg has shared with us, you know, the promise of the Spirit, that Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. Uh, Pastor Greg shared with us the fullness of the Spirit, what it means to have the fullness of the Spirit. And he shared with us the work of the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And I have the privilege today with sharing with you the result, the fruit of the Spirit, the results of the work of the Spirit in our lives. And I don't know about you, but if you grew up like me, if you grew up in a conservative church, if you grew up right, I guess, uh, you would know that the fruit of the Spirit is not a coconut. 
Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you grew up singing that song. The song is the fruit of the spirit. It's not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you better hear it. You can't be a fruit of the spirit. And this is where the value of the song is. It's because I learned that the fruits are love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, oh. We learned that as we were kids. And there's, you know, ones about bananas and passion fruits, and there's all kinds of fun hand signs that go with it. That's why we do those kind of things with kids so that they'll remember. We understand what the fruit of the spirit are, uh, but this actually comes from a passage in the book of Galatians. And we're going to look at that today. You know, we understand that that the things that we do in our lives have results. We understand that the things that we do in our lives have results. I think, you know, in January, maybe some of us have abandoned our, uh, our, our New Year's resolutions by this point. You know, but we understand that if we want to lose weight, the, the process for that is to eat less and move more. I mean, there's never been another way really to lose weight other than to eat less and move more. You're going to exert more calories than you take in. You're going to lose weight. But we are willing to do anything else. We know that that's what it takes, but please, will you give me anything else? I'll eat something. I'll drink something. I'll watch something. Just please. I, I want a shortcut. And when it comes to the things in our, our lives, in, in all areas of our lives, we're tempted to take shortcuts. We're tempted to try to find, find shortcuts to get the results in our lives that really only come from the correct work or activity. Or sometimes when it comes to our lives, we, we fool ourselves. You know, we, we've gone through a process of work or activity that has yielded a certain result, maybe time and time again. Every time we do A and B, the result is C. But we think, if I do it just one more time, maybe it'll be different. Maybe it'll be different. You know, it's kind of the definition of insanity to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. But we do this in our lives. You know, we don't like the fruit that are in our lives, but, but we're unwilling to change the processes. We're unwilling to change the work or activity that produces fruit. And I think just like in the, in the literal definition of fruit, that it bears seeds, I think the fruit of our actions in our lives bears seeds. You know, stick with me for a minute here while I try to explain this. You know, the thing about a seed is that it carries the genetic material. It carries the formula. It carries the code to reproduce and bring more of that into our lives. And I think our actions can be like that. Our actions produce a result that at its core has, has the formula that's produced that result, that can then produce more of that result. And so good seed is going to bear good fruit that's going to bear more good seed. And so it's important to, to be careful with, with what things we're planting in our lives, what things we're putting in our lives. And so when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, when we talk about the Holy Spirit and the results of the Holy Spirit in our lives, I, I think it's crucial. I think for this generation, I think for young people today, you know, the real question about faith is not so much, is it true? But it's more a question of, is it good? You know, I don't think young people today are as much wrestling with, do I really believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again? I think their question, you know, even starts more fundamentally with, should I want to believe that? Is the result of faith going to be good in my life? Is the result of the Christian life good for me? Is it, is it good for society? Is the fruit that it produces good? Should I want this thing? It's not so much, is it true? It's more of a question of, is it good? And I want to share with you today, I believe that following Jesus Christ is the best way to live the best kind of life. And I believe that the fruit of the Spirit is something that we would all want in our lives. And so we're going to look at this passage in Galatians. If you want to follow along with me, we're in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. So you can follow along on your phone, or we're going to have some verses behind me if you want to follow along there. Galatians is the epistle, it's the letter of the Apostle Paul 
to the church in Galatia, in the area of Galatia. And the Apostle Paul would have planted churches in this area. He would have went and preached the gospel, the same gospel that we preach. He would have preached to them that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. He would have preached the true gospel to them. Uh, but then Paul moved on to another city, and some people came behind Paul, and, and they preached this extra gospel. They preached this thing called legalism, where they would say, yes, Jesus forgives you of your sins, but you also need to follow all of these laws. You know, if you're really any kind of a Christian, you're going to follow all of the Jewish laws and you're going to, you know, find your way to God through the law. And the, the problem with this, the thing that, that's wrong with this at the core is that it's, it's pleasing God by your own strength. It's saying that I am going to will myself to do the things that God wants. You know, and, and it's a prideful thought even to think that I could do enough things to make up for the wrong things that I've done, that I could do enough things to attain God's favor. I mean, that's, that's really prideful, and it results in just a lot of different dysfunctions. You know, it's the work of the flesh that, that, that brings out, you know, the results of the flesh. And so Paul's writing them, and he's saying, you Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has confused you? No one should preach a different gospel than that gospel which I already preached. And throughout his epistle, throughout the book of Galatians, there's this parallel that Paul makes between the flesh and the spirit. He's saying, I, I'm preaching to you the work that the spirit has done in your life. Why would you go back? to trying to do things out of your flesh, out of your flesh. And if you've ever known somebody who tried to really practice legalism, if you've ever known somebody who just tried really hard to be good, you know that, that the result is not always good. You know, when you start from a place of pride, the result is prideful. And the way that we end up treating each other is not always great. You know, if, if you start from a place of vanity, I'm going to do all these good things so I can catch God's attention. You know, you, you tend to get offended when the people around you don't recognize how good you are. And when you try with your own strength, with your own flesh to do the things that your flesh is opposed to, you know, your flesh gets real tired and your flesh starts saying, oh, but if I just do this little thing, that's going to help me to do the next good thing. And you find yourself compromising. You know, the works of the flesh are evident. And so we're going to look at this passage. Paul starts it that way in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, look at that list. That sounds great. I mean, wouldn't we all want to live that kind of a life? No, no. I mean, the works of the flesh are obvious. You know, I think in every, in every time, in every day and age, and in every culture, the works of the flesh are obvious. Some of these words don't make a lot of sense to us. Some of these words are not words that we use. Even the original Greek is different than what we would say. And so I want to read this passage to you from a different translation, from the translation that we give to children. Uh, you may not know that these words are in your kid's Bible, but you should read it with them because these words are in there. They may have some questions for you. But in the NIRV, I want to read to you the children's version as you follow along with, with the adult version. I think that there's a value in reading one thing and hearing the translation. So we're going to practice this really quick. And just listen along and read along with me. This is the NIRV, the children's version. The results of sin's control in our lives is clear. It includes sexual sins, impure acts, wild living. It includes worshiping statues of gods and worshiping evil powers. It also includes hatred and fighting, jealousy and fits of anger. Sinful desire is interested only in getting ahead. It stirs up trouble. It separates people into their own little groups. It wants what others have. It gets drunk and takes part in wild parties. It does many things of this kind. I warn you now as I did before, people who live like this 
will not receive God's kingdom. That last phrase, people who live like this will not receive God's kingdom. You know, we can get hung up on that idea on, is it that if you do these things, you're not a believer and you never had faith and that's why you're doing these things? Or is it, if you do these things, you're going to lose your salvation and you're going to drift away from God and you're going to be separated? Either way, it's not a good thing. If these things are are the way that you would categorize your life, if your life is full of the works of the flesh, you should really look at where your faith is. And if you do these kind of things, it's going to really be detrimental to your faith. It's going to be hard to walk the Christian life if the works of the flesh are evident in your life. But I think the works of the flesh are obvious in every day and age. You know, I think the first century Galatians didn't really have a lot of issues with social media addiction. I don't think that they were dealing with that in first century Galatia. And I don't know if there's anybody here who, you know, their chief struggle in life is that they're really accustomed to going to the temple of Artemis and worshiping statues there. I don't think that that's really a struggle for us today. But I think the struggles of the flesh, the works of the flesh, the the way that sin operates, uh, although the actual actions might be a little bit different, I think the core fundamental realities are the same. I think the works are the same. I think they're obvious to us. And so when I think about sin, I think sin causes, uh, it causes destruction, it causes disorder in three main areas of our life. And I think they're categorized even in this passage. I think there are three areas that sin really works in is, is our relationship to God. It gets involved, it gets in between, it wrecks our relationship with God. Sin involves and causes dysfunction in our relationship with ourselves. And then sin, of course, causes dysfunction and disaster in our relationship with others. And I think this list of sins kind of falls into those categories. You know, I think about uh, the words idolatry and sorcery. You know, I don't know if many of us here are looking into crystal balls and using tarot cards and, you know, struggling with palm reading or those kind of things. If you are, stop it. Quit doing those things. Uh, but I think, you know, that idea of, of trying to manipulate the spiritual forces to do our will, I think we still have that. I think we still have that. I think, you know, sometimes our worship is flavored by that. It's if I do these things, if I, if I perform this ritual in this way, I can somehow manipulate God into doing what I want him to do. Uh, or it's, you know, I believe in God, but I also want to believe in some of these extra spiritual ideas that are not in keeping with God. You know, it's, it's a fascination with, with people that have passed before in spirits or a fascination with angels and demons, you know, in an unhealthy way. I think we can still struggle with that idea of sorcery. And I think it comes from a lack of faith in God. It's, I, I don't trust God. I want to make something happen on my own. I, I'm not going to follow God and let him lead. I want to get him to fall in line with my plan. This idea of sorcery, we still kind of have that. This idea of idolatry, that we want to worship some physical thing. I don't want to trust God who's, in, who's not tangible. I want to trust some kind of a physical thing, whether it's you know, money or whether it's success or whether it's you know, a sports team that's like the center of my life. And if they're not winning, you know, my life is a disaster. Anything that we put all of our hope and our dreams into, that, that becomes idolatry. It doesn't have to be a wooden or a golden statue. You know, and that idea of sorcery, the original Greek for that, for sorcery, is pharmakeia. It's where we get our word pharmacy or pharmaceuticals. Uh, because at that time, you know, your doctor was kind of a witch doctor. It was kind of a spiritualist. And, you know, whether there was arsenic in that, peel, in that pill or whether there were just incantations in it, you don't know until you take it. But, but the idea is that the things that we should be getting from God, we want to run to other things. You know, the sense of peace and joy that we should be getting from God. We want to try to find some substance or we want to find some process other than the Holy Spirit to bring these things in our lives. And, and, and don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to a doctor. I think that God has blessed us with knowledge of science and modern medicine. You know, our bodies are in this broken world and there are a lot of things that are wrong with us. And there are a lot of things that you can take that are going to be good for your body. 
But I think so often, you know, we run to anything but God, just like we run to anything but diet and exercise. We say, I will do anything except God to try to get peace and joy and love in my life. So sin and the works of the flesh, they drive a wedge between us and God. They, they, they cause havoc in our relationships with ourselves. I think that's really what was at the root of the problem with, with sexual immorality, with, with being consumed by lust and by desire. You know, we understand that our, our bodies are made for more than that. When we give ourselves over to that, we understand that there's something shameful. There's something wrong with that. And even now, even, you know, even secular psychiatrists and psychologists would tell us that the psychological results of sexual promiscuity are so damaging to us. They're damaging to our sense of self, to our, to our sense of self-identity, to our sense of self-worth. You know, we can't help but be emotionally and, and I would say even spiritually connected to people that we involve ourselves with sexually. And that's why Paul lists these sexual sins. And they're so damaging to our relationship with ourselves. They're damaging to our relationship with God. And we all understand the works of the flesh. So, someone who's totally consumed by their own desires is not a nice person to be around. You know, someone who's totally selfish, someone who's doing whatever they want, is going to be someone who lashes out in fits of anger, someone who's going to be, you know, divisive, someone who's going to be totally selfish. And so the works of the flesh, building up our flesh and puffing up our flesh, letting, letting our bodies and our egos run wild, causes havoc in our relationships with other people. The works of the flesh are obvious. And who would want this in our lives? But we understand that, that, that when we do these things, when we allow our flesh to run rampant, it causes havoc. But, he doesn't leave it there. Paul goes on and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In every time and in every day and age, in every culture, these are good things. There's never been a law against patience and peace because everyone would want these things in their lives. Who wouldn't want a life that was characterized by these sorts of things? And these are the results of the Holy Spirit in our life. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit produces when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Things like love. This love, the Greek word is agape. It means active and unconditional love. It's the kind of love that shows up at the church before anybody else to lay out the bagels and the donuts and prepare for people to come. It's an active love. It's the kind of love that shows up in the nursery or the children's wing and says, week after week, I'm going to pour into and minister to these kids who will probably never pay me back and have no idea the significance of what I'm doing for them. It's an active kind of love. We all would want to have that in our lives. We would want to be full of love for one another. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The word here for joy is like rejoicing, celebration. It's gladness. It's, it's the ability to be glad in every circumstance. It's the ability to look at your life and say, you know, even though everything is not going my way, God has done everything for me. And I have every reason to rejoice because the things that I care about, the things that I'm invested in are, are, are so much bigger than the day-to-day -day things that are in my life. It's the ability to rejoice in every circumstance, joy. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. This word here for peace, it's not so much inner peace as it is relational peace. It's harmony between people. You know, when, when you recognize what God has done for you, the grace and the mercy that he's given you, and when you spend time thinking about that, it makes it a lot easier to share that grace and mercy with the people around you. And when you're merciful and you're kind to the people around you, that produces harmony. You're able to speak the truth and love and build people up. I think we would all want harmony in our life. I don't know anybody who says, I just wish I could have a whole lot more conflict in my home. I think we all want harmony. And the fruit of the Spirit is that kind of peace. Forbearance or, or patience. You know, it's a kind of word that means long-suffering. 
It means that, that I know that you've done wrong, and I know you're probably going to continue to do wrong, but I'm going to continue to show you grace for a long time. I know that you deserve a really harsh word right now because of what you've done, but I'm going to hold that back. I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for you to come around. I'm going to wait for the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Uh, I know Stacy Schaefer, my wife, is an expert in this because she puts up with me. <laughs> a lot of times she knows the answer a long time before I do, and, and she waits for me to come around to that idea, and she's very patient with me. Kindness, goodness, and, and gentleness are kind of all mixed together. You know, this first word for kindness kind of means gentleness. It means in the way that you deal with people that you kind of have a soft touch. You know, I grew up in Michigan, and I spent some time in Texas, and I spent some time in Kansas. I've kind of lived in different cultural areas, and I want to share this story with you. When you're in Texas, if you want a bag of nails, you have to go to the local hardware store, and you have to say, hi, Bill, and then you have to say, uh, how's your family? Uh, how's the weather? Have you heard about James? Yes, I heard about James. Uh, and then, oh, by the way, if it's not too much trouble, if you have any nails, I could use some. All right, in Michigan, you kick open the door and you say, nails. <laughs> and if you say anything more, maybe it's offensive. Uh, you know, and, and it was, for me, honestly, it was a little bit refreshing you know, when I came back and I said, oh, things move so much quicker here. I love it. But I think we could all use with a little bit more gentleness in the way that we deal with people. We should never let efficiency get in the way of charity and kindness, a gentle touch in the way that we deal with people. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, really, the word here for faithfulness, it's translated faithfulness, but it's really just faith. It's really just faith. And I think there's the, this, this thing that happens. You know, just like we talk about photosynthesis as a process in a plant, I think that faith and faithfulness are intertwined. And here's what I mean. I think the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to have faith in God. And when we have faith in God, in a God who is always faithful, we become faithful people. You know, we begin to, to mirror that, that character of God. And when we become faithful people, it becomes a lot easier for us to put our faith in others. You know, when I see somebody that has a really hard time trusting other people, I wonder, is it because that their trust has been violated? Or is it because that deep down they know that they're not really trustworthy? I think it can be both. But when we put our faith in God, we become faithful people that can then put our faith in other people. And I think the Holy Spirit works in our lives in this way. And I know I'm going a little bit long, but I'm passionate about this. I want you to have these things in your life. Things like gentleness. This word for gentleness is like a meekness, a humility, a politeness. You know, and in our, in our American culture, these things are often, you know, said in a negative way. You know, if you want to get ahead, you should be bold, you should be brash, you should be direct, you should be win at all costs. But the Holy Spirit produces meekness, a politeness, a gentle way of dealing with people. And finally, self-control. You know, the self-control could, could literally be translated as, as temperance. You're temperate. Regardless of the circumstances, you're consistent. But also, you know, it points to the idea of drunkenness. You know, the problem with drunkenness is not that God hates alcohol and it's offensive. The problem with drunkenness is that you lose self-control. You lose self-control, and we know that yourself, left to its own devices, is full of wickedness and can do all kinds of evil. And when you allow yourself to become drunk, you do things that you regret. You're unkind. The works of the flesh can run rampant in your life. And so the fruit of the Spirit is self-control day by day being able to do the things that you really want to do. And so how do you get these things in your life? I think all of us would want more self-control. I think all of us would want more peace, more patience, more kindness. Well, remember, these are the fruit of the Spirit. And so if we want the fruit of the Spirit, we need the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so how do we get the Holy Spirit to work in our lives? 
There, there's some really simple ways, some really practical ways that I want to give to you. These are for the, this is for the engineers in the room that say, what do, what do I do? Give me the specifics. Okay, the first one is simple, prayer. If you want to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, pray, connect to God, listen to the Holy Spirit, speak to him and share your ideas with him. I don't know about you, but I know there are times when I go to pray and even as the words are coming out of my mouth, I realize that in the context of talking to God, the problem is me. You know, here's what I mean. I'll go to God and I'll go like, God, I'm upset because I'm not getting my way. This person isn't doing what I want in my time and things aren't happening. And I go, wait a minute, this is not, it's not about me. But I think sometimes that's the reason we don't pray is we don't want to be accountable for the things that are really going on. I think when we share our things with God, you know, sometimes I have anxiety and I'm worried about something and I'll share with God, God, I'm so worried because I want this to happen this way and I'm not sure if it's going to. And I realize I'm not trusting God. In prayer, I'm able to open myself up and, and remember that God is there with me and I can hear back from him. Reading your Bible. Reading your Bible is a way to hear from God. You can read the stories of God. You can read the stories of God's people, of God's character. Meditation or taking time to think clearly is a way to, to walk in step with the Spirit, a way to hear from the Spirit. Acts of service, you know, practicing that agape love is a way to, to keep in step with the Spirit. If you want to know what your flesh sounds like, sign up to serve, and about 10 minutes before it's time to serve, you're going to hear your flesh. Your flesh is going to go, why did I sign up for this? Who put me up to this? You know, I know my flesh starts saying, you know, it's cold and flu season, and I feel like something's coming on. I don't know. I got to call somebody and not do this thing. Acts of service are a way to keep in step with the Spirit, to find out where God is working in the world and, and align yourself with that. Worship. What we did earlier and what we're about to do again in just a moment, singing to God is a way to keep in step with the Spirit. There's times where I'm singing a song, and as the words are coming out of my mouth, I realize this is not actually how I feel. And, and I have to take the, those words of praise and actually make them a prayer. I have to say, God, make me feel this way. God, make this true of my life. You know, I'm saying that, that your faithfulness is great, and God, I need you to help me to believe that in this moment. Worshiping God is a way to connect with God. The theologian Matthew Henry, he said it this way. He said it so eloquently. The best antidote against the poison of sin is to walk in the Spirit, to be much in conversing with spiritual things, to mind the things of the soul, which is the spiritual part of man, more than those of the body, which is the carnal part, to commit ourselves to the guidance of the word, wherein the Holy Spirit makes known the will of God concerning us, in the way of our duty to act in our dependence on his aids and influences. And so I want to take just a moment with us together, and I want to practice this idea of, of meditation, of focused thought, of just kind of clearing our minds. And so this may be something that you do regularly, or this may be very strange for you, but, but I hope that you'll just trust me for a moment. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to read this passage. I've read sections. I'm going to read this passage in its entirety to you. And I want you to just close your eyes, kind of clear your mind. I know you're thinking about lunch. Just set that aside for just a moment. And I want you to just listen to the words. And, and in light of what we've said today, I want you to, to listen for the Holy Spirit in his word. Would you close your eyes with me? This is Galatians 5.16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, 
idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law.